Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast, and I'm Alex Grodnick, your host. Today we have a fun one with a banker turned Googler with a pit stop in the startup world. I'm sure you know by now because I talk about it every week. But in case you don't, you should definitely check out the private equity and investment banking courses that Wall Street Oasis has. They're unlike anything else out there and will definitely give you a leg up in landing your dream job. All right, let's get into the podcast. Samir, welcome. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, so you're in New York. I'm in LA. We're doing this over some new software that I just got, which is kind of exciting. So hopefully the call quality is crystal clear for all of our listeners, because I think you have a really interesting story, and I think our listeners would love to hear it. So let's just start at the beginning. You went to Michigan, and then you got a great investment banking job right out of school. Was that always kind of what you thought you wanted to do? Um, It's funny you ask, because when I graduated in 2007, I mean, a year or two before that, finance was sort of the hot thing to do. Everyone was going into banking or any kind of finance job at a big bank. Um, so initially, it really wasn't. Um, I I had an older brother who was in banking, and I saw you know his lifestyle at the time, and it didn't seem the greatest. Naturally, you're making good money at an early age, so that was attractive. But initially, I actually I didn't want to get into traditional investment banking. So when I did uh, join JP Morgan, I actually joined in an internal consulting program which basically did rotations around the bank. And my thought process there was, let's learn about financial services. Let's learn what a bank has to offer before jumping in completely. And um, But you know, doing those rotations, I understood how a bank functioned and realized the investment bank is really where the money is and where all the deals are and what's driving the business. And that was an area I needed to get into. So it's funny you ask because initially, I, I actually didn't think that was where I wanted to land. Right. But then, you know, you go work for an investment bank, you get to see all their different business units. And, and yeah, it becomes clear where the money comes from, where the smartest people are, perhaps. So was it an easy process? You finish up the rotation and you're like, I want to do investment banking now. And they're like, OK, sure. Great. Was that how it worked? It wasn't exactly that straightforward because internal recruiting for the banking program is probably, I mean, it's probably easier than external but um, at Michigan, obviously, the banks were all coming there. So, I mean, I probably would have had those opportunities. It would be competitive. But um, I, I would say it was just competitive internally as well. Um, I had moved around different functions of the bank, and then I was trying to position myself into the iBanking program and joining the analyst class because you can't just join without not being in the class. And um, when I joined, I 
I recall it being around 08, right? Right when the crisis was happening. So it was very interesting timing. Um, I, I would say I was just lucky. There was actually a spot in, in, in the analyst program at the time that I was looking to join and um, went through a series of interviews, really similar to recruiting out of college. Um, the internal process was very similar. So I would say it was not easy um, and everything aligned and, and I landed in the program and, and uh, landed in uh, one of the banking groups. Right. So you took... Uh, I mean, I don't want to call it an extra year, but you took a year before you, you kind of had to backstep one year, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I basically delayed uh, compared to my counterparts who, who were in the analyst program. Yeah, and how did you think about that decision? I mean, it was fine because, you know, the way I was viewing it was I'm going into this program um, to learn. I, I, I viewed it as, as many people probably still view it today as a boot camp, right? It's a great training ground. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, over the years, I've talked to other folks. I mean, there have been some people who were even older than me joining first year analyst programs, um, just because the experience is good. And, and then I still think it is to this day, still a great training program, um, to develop good career skills, technical skills, um, and really build a strong foundation. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was a little strange to be honest, be be a year or two older than, than your peers, but then the day the experience, you know, was what I was there for. Right. Well, I did the exact same thing. I got my job. I graduated two years after you in 09, right in the middle of the crisis. So I was really lucky to get a job with JP Morgan. It wasn't in their investment bank. It was in their asset management group. And I did that analyst program for almost two and a half years. And then I said, okay, now I want to do investment banking. They said, no, that's not how it works. So uh, then I got to go to Houlihan Loki, but essentially, yeah, I started over there from, you know, a first year analyst. So I was an analyst for many years. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, I'm sure you looked at it the same way. I mean, yeah, a bit of a step back, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a step in the right direction, right? And it worked out. Yeah, ex- exactly. That's that's how I think it's important to look at it. And while it's happening, it's you know, you're so you're only 20 years old. So one year kind of seems like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, it's absolutely nothing. And just do what you can to get the experience. A career, in my opinion, isn't always just a straight line up. There's all sorts of zigs and zags and sometimes back steps and up steps. So yeah, I think we, we see it very similarly. Absolutely. Okay, so great. Now you have this, you're in the banking group. Um, what, uh, what, what group were you in? And how'd you find it? I was in financial institutions, FIG, and um, it, honestly, it, I full disclosure, I actually didn't want to be in FIG. I wanted to be in TMT and um, obviously cover the media space and tech space. But as you know, you know when you're, especially since you went through a similar process, you basically can just take what you can get, right? And I was just happy that there was a spot and there was an analyst, an analyst position on that team um, and to join the, the analyst program. So I just jumped in, took it, um, and just learned everything as I, as I, as I was going forward on the job. Um, because the, the financial sector is very different the way you analyze banks and brokers than your traditional corporates. So, um, it, it was a good learning experience. Um, I wouldn't say all those skills were very applicable later on, um, just because the type of companies I was covering, but at the end of the day, like I said, you know, you still got to work on your analytical skills. You got to still get some client exposure. You got to really build the, the core skills, um, that you would in most groups. Right. And I think that's the the important part. So you're not in exactly the right group for your passions, but you're getting the good skill set. So then, you know, what was next? 
So, yeah, so I was in the analyst program for a couple of years. And then, you know, you get to the point where you start thinking about the associate level. Then you think, start thinking about even further down the road, do I want to be a VP? Do, do I see myself leading um, uh, an industry group or, or a product? Um, and when I started to think about that, I, I started to realize I, I didn't think I was that passionate. I, you know, I, I didn't really think that, you know, finance was super exciting where I can really build a career out of it. So then, when I, so then I started to think about what else I would want to do, and I always had this interest in media and technology, just because it always just found I just found it interesting, especially because I consume media and I use technology. It was just it just seemed much more exciting to be closer to it and work on those products. So um, it's funny. So that I, I actually started recruiting. Actually, I started recruiting on the buy side. So I actually did had some interviews with hedge funds um, and did some PE interviews. And actually, during that process, that's what made me really realize that I don't find this stuff interesting because naturally, you know, I had to read up on work that I did, you know, deals that I had worked on and really know the deals inside out because I knew I was going to get technical questions about it. And I started to think about it. And I'm like, this, this is not fun. Like, I felt like I was studying. Obviously, you have to for interviews, but I was like, I'm just not passionate talking about this stuff. I'm just doing it because I know this is what they want to hear. And and that's what sort of really pushed me to really start focusing on other industries and even outside of finance. And and I knew, like I said earlier, you know, I, I always wanted to be closer to media or technology. So I stopped recruiting for those types of roles. And I started looking at roles at MTV, Sony, uh, Sony, Warner Music. And funny enough, I got traction, but um Two out of the three, I got to the final round. And I had the same exact feedback. They're like, "Listen, you're you're great, analytical. You know, you present yourself well. You're a smart guy, but you just have no media experience, no digital media experience." So uh, I was like, "Okay, how am I going to get myself there?" And that's what really led me to start thinking outside the box and thinking about startups um, and and even just larger technology companies. Wow, I, I like that story. It's cool. I mean. It's difficult when it's happening not to get caught up in the buy side recruiting and everyone's doing it and there's lots of money and it just it seems like the natural progression. But that's awesome that you were able to kind of take a step back, see where your passions really were, see that it was in technology and media, and then devise a a little plan to go make that happen. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and and a part of it was also at the time, you know, the group that I was in, you know, I was starting to lose interest, right? I wasn't that motivated anymore. Um, I, I was trying to chart that path to continue to, to you know, to, to move to the associate level and the VP. And when I wasn't really seeing that and, 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 and feeling passionate about that and, and, you know, you have to do extra work, right? You have to step up your game. And I just wasn't excited about doing that. And that's what sort of made the decision a little bit easier for me to start thinking outside the box, especially after I did a little bit of buy-side recruiting and realizing that's not where I wanted to be. Right. So then you, th- you thought, okay, startup, a startup business, this is, this is kind of how I can go get my feet wet, get some media, technology, s- entertainment, whatever, uh, skill sets. And so how did you, how did you do that? So that, that's, <laughs> that, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever done, right? Think about it. You're, you're in a completely different industry and have a completely different skill set and you want to go do something that's probably the complete opposite to most people. Um, and that's what was extremely difficult. I mean, I started to tap everybody I knew. And the problem was, I'd say 90% of my network were all people who worked in finance or PE or hedge funds or some sort of consulting capacity. And no one really worked 
at a startup or even at a tech company. I mean, I wasn't an engineer. Um, I didn't focus in like you know operations or anything like that in, in undergrad. So I didn't have a lot of friends in that space. So the few that I did, I started to gather some information, understand how the industry works. And then I got some interviews, um, naturally because, you know, I had some credibility just based on, on my resume and I fell flat on my face. I remember I, 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 I was really interested in this, um, basically a, a streaming music startup. And, you know, they were asking me all these challenging questions, but they just really didn't get my skill set. I mean, these guys were tech founders. They had no idea what the hell you do in banking. And the funny thing was, I was going in there talking about transactions that I worked on and, and, and how we pitched certain businesses. And a lot of that just was not resonating. And, and this happened a couple of times. You know, I, I just really had a lot of difficulty really translating my skills. So um, I fell flat on my face multiple times. And, and through the process, you know, I still kept going out there, networking, going to industry events, um, taking different classes at General Assembly, just really just trying to get smart on the space. And through that process, I met a few folks who were ex-bankers themselves. Um, one had started his own company. Another one was running um, a, a, a startup. And I, I told them my story. And naturally, you know, they were excited, right? Because there's not too many ex-bankers floating around that, the space. And this was back in 2012. And, um, you know, they, they started to give me some advice and, and mentor me in some capacity around how to position myself, how to, how to translate my banking skills into what a small tech company or startup would want to hear or see. Um, and also, you know, gave me advice on how to research these companies and what I really need to be pushing in interviews. Um, so, so that really helped navigate the process because the process was so different than the financial, you know, even like banking recruiting process or buy side recruiting process. Right. Which is what you were familiar with. And yeah, this is, as you say, completely, completely different. Exactly. I mean, and, and that, that's, that's where it was really tough because if you didn't have someone to coach you through it or someone who's been through the process and also knew the world you're coming from, it's really hard. I mean, for example, like how do you even find these opportunities for 10, 15 person companies? There, there's no, generally they don't have a website where they're posting all these roles, right? A lot of this stuff comes through referrals. Um, it comes through, through the founders, their own personal networks. And if you don't have a network in tech or in, in that ecosystem, how are you even going to get noticed? So that, that was the biggest struggle. It was really wrapping my head around, okay, how do I even get in front of the right companies? And a part of that was also figuring out what's, what size company do I want to be a part of, right, based on the type of goals that I have and based on what they're looking for. Right. And, you know, some of these things might be a little bit easier now. There's websites, there's, there's meetups and founder suites and, and, and uh, things like that. But in 2012, a lot of those resources probably didn't exist for you. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so long story short, without boring everybody, um, eventually, you know, through through my process of networking, I met some folks, um, and and I and I met a, a CEO of a company, and um, you know, he, he actually had a consulting background himself, so he understood the the skill set that that I would bring to the table, and um, you know, I I basically had a conversation with him, and and I said, hey, look, you know, I'd love to work with you. Um, and, and I understand, you know, if you, you don't see immediate value in my skill set or how I can add value to your firm, I, I'd love to do an internship with you, like a, a one or two month. I'll even do it unpaid. And he's like, sure, why not? You can help us with fundraising. You can help us with random stuff. And I was like, you know what? I just want some startup experience on my resume. That way people will take me a little more seriously. And I'll also be able to talk the lingo, un, you know, understand the space and talk more intelligently about it. So um, so that that's what I ended up doing. I joined a company called Genesis Media, which was an ad tech company um, at the time. This was back in 2012. So I, I basically interned with them unpaid. The idea was two, three months. 
it ended up being almost six or seven months and, and pretty much unpaid. And, um, you know, they obviously weren't saying like, Hey, you have to work here. And, you know, after two, three months, they even offered, they said, look, we're happy to introduce you to other companies. Uh, potentially they maybe might be able to hire you, but I actually really liked their product. And I really liked what I was learning, the, the working in a startup environment. There are about 15 of us at the company. It was just really interesting. I got my hands involved in everything. I did a little bit of the finance work and I was very clear. I didn't want to do it, but it was the only way I can immediately add value. So I, I was open to it. So I helped work on their operating model. I helped work on a few pitch decks for investors. But then I started to pivot into business development work. I started to look at market sizing, helping them you know, understand the market for specific products in the ad tech space. Uh, mind you, I had zero background in ad tech. Right? I, I was covering financials, which is the polar opposite. So obviously, I had to learn all that space very quickly. So um, basically, I, I ended up sticking around for six, seven months until we did another round of fundraising, and they brought me on full time. Um, and when they brought me on full time, I took a massive pay cut. So that was uh, a tough pill to swallow. But you know, I wanted to be there, and I was hungry. Right. Well, plus six months of free work, <laughs> basically. I mean, I can't. And I, Samir, you're telling me you left your JP Morgan job to go be an unpaid intern. I mean, that's, that's unprecedented. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, sometimes you have to take extreme measures to really, to make changes. Right. And, and look, it's, it's funny because I talk to a lot of people about this and, and, and people who want to do similar things. And I've, I tell them my story, right. Basically taking zero salary was the way I sort of pivoted in and I was able to get the experience, but that that's an extreme way of doing it. But it can work, but you have to be willing to take a risk, some sort of risk. I mean, that's a big risk that I took, but um, I saw I saw the reward at the end, right? I, I knew that there would be something coming out of it. Um, so it was a little calculated once I got myself into it, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Yeah, I love the risk-taking mentality. I think bankers kind of, in general, aren't super um, risk-seeking, more, more averse. Uh, you know, they've got great jobs, great salaries. It's tough to do something like that. No, you're absolutely right. And that's funny. That's what I would say. I was like, you know, contrary to popular belief, bankers are very risk averse. And, they, you know, everyone likes that, that comfort and that structure and the stability. So it's very hard to to sort of give that up and just take a risk and try to do something. And that, that's part of the conversations I'm always having. Someone's asking me, oh, look, you know, I always wanted to start this company, but I just don't have time. And I really have this great idea and I want to do this. That's how I quit your job. Because if you don't quit your job, you're not going to do it. You're not going to put everything there is to actually get there. So a lot of it comes down to, you know, being in the, having the right state of mind to actually take that big step. Yeah. Having your back against the wall is pretty important. It's tough to do it with a nice cushy salary, a lot of luxuries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so continue down that path. So anyway, so I was at Genesis media for about two and a half years. Um, then I moved to another company called Tremor video, which is slightly larger, I'd say, well, larger in the sense of not really a startup, but still kind of because there are about 200 people um, compared to any corporate uh, firm that's tiny. Um, so borderline startup. So I, and then I was there for about a year. I did. I expanded my role into a little bit more corp dev type work as well as business development just to get a little smarter on the industry. Um, and, and I did that for a while. And um, after that, and then, uh, you know, I, 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 I uh, wanted to go to – Basically, the place that everybody wants to go, Facebook or Google, um, and uh, everything basically worked out. I, I went through the interview process, wasn't the easiest, and uh, landed in, in, a, in a pretty cool role here at Google where I am today. 
and you're in Google in New York and tell us your job and tell us what that interview process was like and how it differed from banking interviews. Sure. So, so at Google, I'm on our uh, strategic partnerships team. And what we do is we work with our largest digital media partners and um, we're focused on digital media because they primarily generate their revenue through ads. And Google has one of the strongest um, ad platforms out there. And um, we have very large partnerships with, um, you know, you name it, any news and publishing company out there, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, whoever it is, a lot of them are using the Google ad stack. So um, my role is really managing uh, a few of those relationships and, you know, figuring out what more they can be doing with Google outside of primarily just the ad space. Very cool. And, uh, and getting that job, the interview? Yeah, so uh, you know, you could read a lot about these the, the Google interview process. Um, there's a lot written out there, and obviously, I can't say too much. Um, but what I can say, it's very different because it's a lot about how you think, and it's a lot about how you solve problems. Fit is super important. Um, showing passion is very important. A lot of it's exactly the same as when you go through the startup recruiting process. Um, here, it's a little bit different because they're looking for. Cognitive ability is when I keep saying, you know, how, how you think that that's a big part of it. Googliness is another thing. <laughs> it's a funny term. It's very hard to exactly define it. But um, that that really just ties back to who you are as a person and and, and how you would add to the culture. But um, yeah, a lot of rounds. Um, there is a, there's a process, I guess, towards the end where you're actually putting together an interview packet, um, which gets reviewed by um, internal committees. So um it's it's a quite a long process. I mean, to me, it felt a little bit like applying to grad school. Like if I were to apply to grad school, you got to put together a package, um, write some you know short form question and answers, and uh, basically submit a profile of yourself. Um, and and that's that's the process in terms of what I can really share. But um, it's a long process and it's very ambiguous. And I think that's what makes it really challenging. Right. And Samir, it sounds like everything is really working out pretty nicely for you. The risk. It paid off. You got some startup experience, and now look at Google, as you said, where everyone, where everyone wants to be. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's for everybody. I, I mean, definitely the place where I, I, I mean, coming out, leaving when I left JP Morgan, I wasn't like, hey, I want to be at Google. Uh, and my, my media plan was really, I, w- I want to be in the media tech space, some in some capacity. And the startup space is awesome, just because working at a small company, you get to do so much. You actually really can feel your impact. Um, and then as I was in the space, you know. I started looking around. I'm like, where, where would I ultimately want to be? I want to be, a, you know, the big players in the market. And then to me, I, I viewed it as Google and Facebook as being sort of the ultimate players in the market, which I still feel are today. And, um, you know, I try to figure out and chart my path. How am I going to get there? And I was very fortunate. To be honest, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I, I, I still think, you know, it's it's not easy to, to land here. Um, but, you know, if you play your cards right, it can definitely work out. Right. And it's a, it's a really nice success story. It's encouraging. So let's talk about giving back, maybe. I mean, you're, you, you, made, you made the jump. You made it happen, transitioned from finance to technology. And now you like to help others try to do the same, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, um, in 2012, when I was going through that process, it was extremely frustrating. And I fell flat on my face just because I just didn't know how to navigate the process or even understand the, the space just because I had no network. Um, after I landed at Genesis Media, a lot of old colleagues, uh, friends of friends who worked in finance were reaching out. And they were like, dude, you got to tell us, like, how did you actually land there? How did you even find an opportunity? How did you navigate that process? And I was getting people reaching out 
like one after the other. So I thought about it and I was thinking, why not start some sort of forum, right? Start, start some sort of community where I can bring other bankers who had done a similar path, whether they started their own company, um, joined a, a startup or even jumped at a, at a larger tech firm, um, to come and talk about their experience because everyone's path is very different. But at the end of the day, everybody has to think about the same thing is taking that risk, right. And taking that leap and what, and, and how you approach that. And, and so, so we started doing um, a, a few roundtables is what I call them. Um, and we started getting a lot of interest and um, basically a lot of people kept approaching me like, Hey, you need to do this more. You need to bring more people together. So I started doing it, but I kept it small. I, I only wanted to have 30, 40 people there because I wanted to be, I wanted to make it intimate because I wanted to make sure people who were in, working on wall street, we're able to tap into networks they didn't have access to and really build those connections. So keeping it small was really my goal. So um, that was in 2012. And um, now five years later, literally almost five years later, September, um, I, I've been doing it since then. And I have over 1,200 people on my distribution list. And I continue to do basically these quarterly, call it a meetup, um, but basically bringing ex-bankers together and and talking about their success stories, talking about their failures, talking about what it was like to leave, you know, a big cushy job and really talk about their paths. Because I, I you know, the biggest thing I've realized is you know, I, I meet people all the time who are working in finance and asking about how to, how to do this is, is that if they don't hear success stories and they don't see you know, the possibility that you're succeeding and by taking a risk and maybe quitting their job or trying to build their own company, they're not going to do it. The only way you can convince other people to do it is by hearing other people's stories and 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 getting advice from others. Because everyone, I'm not going to say everyone, a lot of people are trying to do this. And, um, you know, it's it's a big trend right now. I mean, you're seeing at the executive levels. Um, I mean, Google's a CFO came from Morgan Stanley. Um, I know Snap ha- has a few bankers. And you name it, all, all the big, like, sexy tech companies out there, even smaller fintech startups, a lot of them have executives from the big banks. But the trend, I think, personally, is happening sort of at the, the analyst associate level when people are starting thinking about, where do I go next? Am I staying at a bank or am I going by side? Now the third tier is maybe I'll go to a startup or maybe I'll start my own. Right. And there is a lot to be said for starting your career in banking. It's a great skill set. I mean, for you, you kind of had to hustle and start your way over and climb. But but nowadays, would you do things differently? Would you go straight out of uh, school to Google or would you still do the, the banking route? I mean, it, it's a great question, honestly, because a lot of people you know ask me that. And, and when we do these roundtables, that's, that's always something we talk about. It's like, should you know if we did it all over again would we even recommend going down the banking path me personally i still think yeah problem is if your end goal is like i want to work at google you don't really need to then right because if you know that's your end path like why why take a detour a lot of times people aren't sure and and then if you're remotely interested in finance and you want to build good skills i still think you should go to banking and maybe do two years Maybe join the TNT group if you can, and then use that and leverage that into a role at, at a startup or at a large tech company. I mean, it's still possible. So honestly, it's, it really depends on what, what someone's aspirations are. The problem is people coming out of college usually don't know where they want to land. Um, and since the two sectors are so different, it really depends what interests them most. Right. So for people who live in New York, how can they find out more information about, uh, they just go to wallstreet.siliconalley.com, sign up for, for some of your roundtables? 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, Wall Street to Silicon Alley.com. Everybody thinks it's Silicon Valley, but I guess maybe some of the listeners who are, who are listening, Silicon Alley is basically the New, the New York equivalent of Silicon Valley. Um, and, and it's really interesting, actually, because the, the tech and startup community in New York is very small, and everyone is very helpful. And, and that was actually one of the things I realized when, when I actually started getting plugged in. People are always willing to take coffee. And whereas in finance, I wouldn't say it was as easy, um, but people are really willing to help each other. And, and that's what was really fascinating to me. So, you know, the community that, that I've been able to build with Wall Street to Silicon Alley, it, you know, it's a mix of folks who've left the, the finance world and doing something in the startup world, um, as well as current finance professionals. And it's, it's a nice community that we have and that we're continuing to build and we're trying to grow it even more. Um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of ideas. I just haven't had time to execute them, but continues to grow. And if anyone listening is interested in, in getting more involved with the startup space or potentially pursuing a career in that space, I would highly recommend you know signing up to our distribution list and, and stopping by one of our events. Right. So I, I guess just last question here. At Google, you get to spend, I don't know the percentage, but part of your time working on side projects, right? Is this kind of something that you do in your spare time there? Yeah. So, so for those who don't know what you're referring to, I assume you're referring to the 20% project. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I figured. So the twenty percent project is actually a little bit different. That's specific to something here at Google. So um, I work in partnerships. I, for example, don't do anything with YouTube. If I wanted to find a project um, on one of the YouTube teams and dedicate twenty percent of my time, that's what that would be. Basically, something completely unrelated to my day to day job. So that's a little different. Um, with uh, with the initiative that I'm running with Wall Street Silicon Alley, that's outside of outside of work. So Hence why I'm a little constrained on how much I've been able to really grow it um, because I really just do it in my spare time. Uh, so that unfortunately doesn't apply for uh, a 20% uh, project. Right. Well, this was awesome talking with you, Samir. I mean, if you want to leave one last point of advice for our listeners, I'll let you do that. But I think you did a really nice job and it's an inspiring story. Thanks. No, thanks so much, Alex. Thanks for having me. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm having a lot of these conversations with folks who are two, three, even five years into their careers trying to figure out what's next. And, and I think, you know, the biggest thing people need to realize is you got to look at where you are today, look down the road and figure out, is this where you want to be? And are you happy? If you're not, I strongly encourage you to take some time, step back and really think about what makes you happy and try to figure out how you can get there. Then the, the day, a lot of people have done it. You, you may end up quitting your job and taking some time off, but at the end of the day, you're going to be fine. Tons of people ended up fine. You may fall, fall flat on your face, but that's part of the process because one thing we didn't get to talk about was, I guess, you know, how happy I am now, right? Finance is fine. You know, you're sort of happy. Work-life balance is okay or it could be terrible. But when you're joining these different companies and you're pursuing something you're really interested in, it really changes you physically, mentally, emotionally. And, and it could really have an impact on your life. So I strongly encourage anyone who's thinking about potentially pursuing, you know, some some something that they've always thought about to really do it. And and don't don't think twice because if you keep thinking about it, you'll never, you know, be, uh, find something fulfilling. Right. That's awesome advice, Samir. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, please leave us a comment on iTunes. And also, tell your friends. Thanks. We'll be back in a couple weeks.